Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand, and this is where we sit down with everyday people who do extraordinary things. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Today, we've got two sailors sitting down, pretty much just having a conversation about whatever, uh, but it's kind of interesting. The sailing world has a way of being very small, and you run into people that you have met along the way, uh, sort of over and over again. And, uh, that's just what happened, uh, with my buddy, Dan, who sailed in to South Carolina and just happened to stop at the same Marina that I was in. And Dan's a great guy. We first met up in Knights Marine up in Rockland, Maine, and he had pulled his boat out of the water and literally, uh, it's just hard charging. He would go down to Portland and he would work all week and then he'd come up and then he would sand. He'd be covered in, you know, bottom paint and all this sort of stuff. He was a legend. He was just killing it on the uh, productivity front as far as getting his boat ready so that he could then make his way down the East Coast. And he's he's a solo sailor and he's sort of in the beginning stages of that, doing little hops and little little offshore jaunts, let's say, down the coast, and just really living that sort of vagabond experience. And uh, I don't know, very cool guy, super fun to sit down and talk to him. He has also uh, hiked the Appalachian Trail as well as the Pacific Crest Trail. And so we do get into some of the hiking. It's kind of a, a sailing hiking podcast conversation. So hopefully everybody enjoys it. Before we start, as I always say, if you want to support the podcast, you can join the Patreon group. The family is growing every day. Thank you all so much for the support. And uh, you can follow the link in the description to sign up with that. Other than that, if you want to reach out to the show, just uh, head over to sailingintooblivion.com. Click on the podcast link and uh, contact the show. And yeah, basically that's about it. So we're going to dive right into uh, the conversation with Dan. I want to do a shirt line of Murph. That he, we've got these great pictures of him, like really high resolution. He's sticking one. He's sticking his head out of uh, out of the shack, and then the other one, he's blowing the horn. And there's like lobster pots because he's really, really uh, photogenic. I mean, yeah. as a main lobsterman, and he's a character. I I just want to put underneath it. He, he, I want to put the oracle has spoken. <laughs> And like Murph above it, he wants to put. When I'm not drinking alone, I drink with my friends. <laughs> like, All right, gotcha, bud, gotcha. Mm. What have you gotten any of his like life story? You know, I I know he, you know, he's been a fisherman his whole life, and then he did. How, yeah, how he, did he end up in the the shack at Knights Marine? <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I'd hate to try and tell that story and not get it right. Um, but I know he was a scalloper for a long time. You know, he was born in Maine yeah. and, uh, worked with our buddy Heath on his father's, his father, Rick, Captain Rick Curtis. He ran a, like a hundred foot scallop boat for a long time and, their friendship, I think, bled into Night Marine 
and and Cy needed basically needed somebody he could count on that you know moments notice I need your help you know transporting this boat moving this right. boat doing whatever um and yeah I think Murph just needed a place to to be able to stay so that he could be available all the time and match made in heaven there you go yeah yeah and it, you know that first year that I was there I didn't even I I was so busy prepping the boat I almost never hung out with those guys they were there. They used to, you know, have beers right there by the office every day after work. Yeah. And the boat was right where it was this year, um, next to that box car. But I was just full on like go, go, go. I mean, when you're in the middle of it, like it's so much work to like I spent the whole summer just getting ready to do this trip, not like take off for a circumnavigation, yeah, yeah, right? right? I wasn't like you know, I've got plenty of food on board, but not like 300 days worth of food <laughs> yeah oh yeah it gets a little more intricate <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but really it's just in a lot of ways i think all you're doing is you're just scaling up so yeah. you know if so when you when you were prepping here you want to move that mic just a bit closer yeah. there you go sweet when you were prepping what what sort of was your idea as far as like where how far you were going to go and you know, provisioning, what were you trying to have the boat geared up for? For, I mean, basically this type of trip. So what I'm, I mean, just like working down the U.S. East Coast and short, offshore to use the term loosely, hops, meaning right. like I'm saying offshore is in not the ICW. Not the ICW. So like, sometimes you can't see it. Yeah, right. Some, you know, I don't think I've been more than 20 miles out ballpark definitely not more than 30 uh, probably over 20 a couple times yeah so yeah. like you know it's out there but not like you know deep sea blue water right sailing. right but still um, yeah you're you're but, you're not coastal cruising like you can't see the land the whole time no no um mostly because I just don't want to motor down the ICW when I want to sail. Um, Copy that. And I understand. I've got a good job. I can work remotely so I can sail on the weekends. But that also means that I don't have many, many consecutive days yeah. to sail. So I've got, you know, 48 hours. If I take a day off on a Friday or Monday, I can get myself, a, you know, three mm -hmm. days. Um have you ever had a time where you were sort of like, all right, well, I'm going to do this two-day hop, and then you get like becalmed or whatever, and then all of a sudden, I haven't yet. Yeah, that's, heard that's from like, Dan? yeah, right. <laughs> that that's was a fear I had initially, but the reality is like modern coastal weather forecasting is just so good in that, the short term. Yeah, right. Because yeah. I'm I'm not looking, you know, ten days out, right? I'm I'm looking yeah, no need, the man. you know the next two days of wind, and if it's not looking good, like I don't like I don't have to leave this marina on Friday night if I don't want to. Yeah, yeah. So I can basically just go and I've done almost all the sailing from Maine to here in Beaufort downwind. Like I've just basically just been pulled out it. wing on yeah, wing. It's like, oh look, it's blowing out of the northeast, and I wanted to go south. Perfect. <laughs> like here we go. 150 degrees away. Here we go. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Those, and I guess, yeah, I mean, shoot, man, because it's that adventure, 
that you're on doing the hops down the coast is something that I get sort of like anxious about because I think of, you know, all the pilotage, all the navigation, all of the hours of focus and traffic. So AIS is an absolute amazing piece of technology and I wouldn't consider doing it uh, (laughs) without it. I, one of the things I did this summer is I installed the transponder. Mm -hmm. So I, I transmit and receive, um, yeah, which is really valuable, you know, when U.S. Warship Three is like Crescent, 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 U.S. Warship Three, like yeah, the freaking Navy. It's like, hey, we're conducting flight exercises. Oh, please maintain a two nautical mile CPA. Um, and it's not your water; it's God's water. No, I mean it, it was fine, but they well they saw me on radar, mm-hmm. so I'm sure they saw me when I was way out. But they were able to hail me by name as opposed to like yeah the blue hulled sailing vessel southbound on the you know virginia coast right right you know um well they i i think any when i heard there was when i was coming up they were doing some sort of live fire exercise and so they were yelling at all these ships to get out you know above a certain latitude or below a certain latitude and i was lucky i was just above it and moving north um but yeah the military they don't mess around they're like well i mean they'll clear your vessel yeah. out of here <laughs> as fast as you can i mean they, they were perfectly polite you know my oh yeah yeah, yeah. basically we were gonna i think if i'd maintained my course i would have gotten within like a mile and a half of them so still pretty far out right but closer than they wanted because they were conducting flight exercise but i was downwind on i can't remember now if it was a port or starboard tack but basically i couldn't head any further off the wind without driving so i had to yeah yeah right held back and be like hey i'm a sailboat under sail i need a few minutes to drive yeah, and then right. i'll give you as much room as you want give me a hot sack um i i think i i must have been on a starboard tack and i had to jibe to put myself on a port tack so because i had wind out of the northeast i was heading south uh-huh. so that i could head a little bit further offshore oh okay, okay. yeah i head away from from land because it doing what they wanted would have put me like straight dead downwind like 180 yeah. degrees and one little gust and all of a sudden you're you know messy jibe right right well like, do you not have a preventer on there i do but i'd rather put myself at like 160 or 170 degrees and it is always nice, you know, yeah, yeah. not be constant. I I did actually. I I am very glad I installed preventer. So I put two huge blocks, port and starboard, up on the bow. Yeah, I run lines that go from there all the way back to the cockpit, and then I've got a line that runs the length of the boom with a shackle, so mm-hmm. I can take the line on the boom and connect it to either one of the lines on the side of the boat so the preventers oh, okay. are just always there always there yeah um, so you have two two preventer lines and then you're hooking that yeah that so when i up. jibe i just switch from one to the other i've also used one as like a downhaul on a whisker pull so yeah if i yeah, pull yeah. out my genoa i can use the preventer that's not on the boom to hold the whisker pull pull the whisker pull forward and use the sheet to pull the whisker pole back. Yeah, right. Um, and there's a top and lift on the pole holding it up. Ah, but, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Which I, I played with that, and it, at least from what I've read, you're supposed to do it, but there's, honestly, in, in 
a million different yeah. ways for all the million um, different boats there are. I, yeah, so I, I played around with it, and it definitely does help keep the pole more stable. What I've been doing more recently is I've taken the lazy jib sheet and just passed it under one of my bow cleats mm-hmm. and just put a little bit of tension on the lazy oh, sheet okay. just to pull, you know, provide a little bit of force pulling the end of the pole towards the bow. And yeah. then the sheet that you're, you know, your lured sheet is still sheeting. Interesting. Pull okay. aft and that helps. But also like you don't have to do it. It's fine if you just put the pole on, on you the know, sheet. Clip it, put the jaw into the sheet and just use that topping lift and the lured sheet. Right. Right. As long as there's that, something, yeah, to sort yeah. of hold it. I, I actually, I'm very lucky on this boat that I've spent enough time doing it where I, I, found that all I have to do, I have in my sheet a figure eight knot about four inches from the actual uh, clue of the sail. So the jaw just goes on that. It can't slide past the figure eight. And because I know exactly the sheeting angle I need, uh, I run it in between my lowers and my uppers, and And it just holds that staysail perfect um and it doesn't rub against anything and it's just like okay that's perfect for either downwind like dead downwind or if i want to be at like 160 almost even higher and then actually the wind is reverse on that sail like it's actually uh i've reversed how that sail is actually you know working yeah Yeah, it's amazing once you get yourself you know pulled out wing on wing you can head up maneuver yeah yeah it's crazy. Pretty high. I mean, definitely below a beam reach, but 120 maybe. Like mm-hmm. you can. It is. It's really. It's really quite cool. Yeah. I, all it takes is a lot of time, and fiddling, and you know, not being lazy, and and I'm so guilty of that. Where I'm like, that's eh, <laughs> fine. You know, I'm gonna just, just let it do yeah. that. It's not perfect, but it's working. And it's when you're, you know, when I was in sort of more your shoes where it's sort of the start of the whole solo sailing thing where you're, you're trying, you're into it all. You're just trying, like, I used to go and take like a marker when I figured out something that was like perfect. I'd go and mark it on the sheets and be like, okay, so I know that I can set the staysail and pull it out and the sheet's going to be marked and I just have to pull it in right there. And then I can just hoist the halyard and it's perfect. And those, you know, sometimes oh, that works. That's sometimes neat because you've got Hank on sail, so you can set the pole before the sail is even hoisted. Oh yeah, I hadn't yeah, thought yeah. about that. Well, it's and the just... cool part too is that if if all of a sudden like a squall rolls in or whatever, I can douse the whole thing. Just I let the halyard just go, and the pole ends up hitting the lifeline, but it just stays right there. Right. The whole sail just falls and is is hanging there. And then I can just run up there real quick, unclip the jaw, and then lash it all down if I want. Sometimes I just leave it up there. I'm like, man, squall's gonna pass. I mean, it. I mean, works similarly with roller furling. You can just, you know, let the sheet go and and furl the sail up, and it just pulls the pole. Right, right, right up forward. against the the furled but, sail. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. true, true. Because it's just sliding right through it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And and it also lets you adjust the size, the amount of sail you have pulled out. Mm-hmm. So if I have, 
you know, one reef, two reefs, three reefs in the main, I can adjust the amount of sail area out on the head sail to balance the boat to make the wind vane have an easier time. Do you have to adjust or can you adjust the length of your whisker pole? I can. You can. Do yeah. you, though, or do you kind of have to to keep the angle of that, that sail I, just right? The, I'm still figuring out how to adjust it. I think with a little bit more experience, I'll probably be able to dial in, like, you know, these are the points that I yeah, should should yeah. pull it out like to. Pull it into that but, piece of you tape. You know, basically, if I've got two reefs in the main or a third, I pretty much just extend the pole to make it to the head stay. Yeah. If I've got one reef or like maybe it's going to get windy enough that I need two reefs, but definitely not to a third, I pull it. 18 inches beyond, uh, (laughs) you know, it's like, I'm I'm still figuring out exactly, you know, dialing in exactly what the right amount is. And a couple times I've, what ends up happening is whatever length I set the pole to sets or fixes how much sail I can unfurl. So it kind of, so the the longer the pole is, the more sail you have to unfurl. Yeah. So, there are a couple times where I've basically gotten it wrong and set the pole length too long and then unfurled too much sail. And then you're like, but you Whoa! can't. This the, Pearson is moving. Yeah. Or like <laughs> the the problem is you can't adjust the sail. The sorry, the length you can't adjust the length of the pole under load. So you have to just furl the sail, go yeah. up, adjust the pole, Start it again, and then yeah. you can keep the like the jaws on the sheet, so you're not totally starting again right right right, right. Um, well on that yeah because that is typically if you're using a topping lift and a downhaul and stuff like that for yeah. that pole it is pain and i don't know where do you store your pole is it on the deck on the mast yeah, it's right up here okay i just have two two lash points uh a, a third one if it's going to get ugly but i can i can untie it and have it on the sail and on the mast probably in two minutes yeah, I just have two points on the deck on the port side up on the bow. Yeah. For the and that works fine. That's the way the boat came. I could see how it could be nice to have a long enough track on the mast where you could store the pole. Like, oh, always ready to go. Yeah, yeah and just store yeah. it up on the the forward edge of the mast. I've seen a lot. A lot of boats will have. Yeah. Um, I I looked. The track I have isn't long enough oh to hoist it all the way to up. hoist yeah, it yeah. high enough even with the the pole at its shortest length mm. for that to work you know and then it's just another you know okay do i find a short piece of track to extend what i already have do i replace the whole track is it even worth it when i can just put it on no, the deck it's like, not it's no, definitely not no. yeah i mean but and the, they don't they don't take up a huge amount of surface area no. it's, it's fine it's fine and yeah, I mean it's less weight aloft or less windage or whatever. It yeah, right? it, it's exactly. easy and working, and there are other things I can so, spend my time and money on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a nice bottle of uh, <laughs> right. Well, that ship's was, cap that run. Was or no, a, this a was gift, a gift. So right? Somebody else spent their money on it. Yeah. Dan brought a lovely uh, bottle of ship's cat, as in C A T, aged rum. Very spicy. Or not spicy, but uh, 
when I took that first sip, it was like a punch <laughs> in the face. A little rough. A little rough. But hey, you know, that's what rum is supposed to be, especially if you're drinking it neat and not on any ice or anything. Right. Just straight. Mm-hmm. So how what uh, what sort of challenges have you run into, difficulties as far as the... Because is this primarily your first sort of big solo adventure? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I started sailing when I was eight on little dinghies on lakes in Maine. Okay. Um, okay. So you got a background in it. Yeah, but they're all tiny dinghies, right? There's no cabin. You're just going out for an hour yeah, yeah, or two yeah. to race a little bit or but playing, sail around. playing yeah. with the wind. Yeah. You're familiar um, with that, yeah. And lake sailing's hard. The wind shifts a lot. You know, you can have the wind go 180 twice ocean. and in a one-hour sail. Oh, 100%. So, like, there's... It's a different kind of sailing, but you yeah. can learn a lot doing it, for oh, sure. Oh, 100%. Um... Yeah, and then I just jumped into bigger boats by buying this one that I have. So now. this is your first Crescent, right? Yeah, Crescent. And it's a Pearson 36? A Pearson 10 meter. It's 33 oh, yeah, feet. Oh, yeah, 10 yeah. meter. Which, you were telling, if, you, you if, went if, on a tirade the no, other no, night. No, 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 it's not a, so. It was great. <laughs> You're like, if, there is a difference. So, it well, it only matters a little bit. If you're looking at Pearson's. In the seventies, out, Dan. Just no, I'm not out. not frustrated about it. It's, it's just an interesting little <laughs> little know, quirk just, to know about uh, Pearson. So, uh, uh, I have a Pearson ten meter from 1976. Mm. I forget when the first year was they started building the boats, but say mid 70s. But from the you know mid 70s into 80s, Pearson made two different 33 foot sailboats. They made a Pearson 33 and a Pearson 10 meter, and they're different boats the 33 is a Which little one's bit better more, i don't i've never been on a th- the pearson 33 so I, oh, I don't know i thought from, that was a given you were gonna be no no mine uh, is from better. from looking at the drawings and the specs it it looks like the um, if i remember correctly the pearson 33 is a little bit more race and performance oriented you know fin keel fin rudder or spade rudder um whereas my boat has a fin keel, but it's a wider one, and I have a skeg hung rudder. Oh, definitely, that's more of a a burly boat for sure. Yeah, um, interesting. I I don't know the displacement difference offhand. I know my boat displaces like just over twelve thousand pounds. Well, it's a great looking boat. I mean, when you, I I guess I'm sure my listeners already realize that you and I have known each other for a while now. <laughs> Because I didn't even do an intro, uh, and I will, you know, when I set this thing up to launch. But, um, you know, what, Dan, you and I met not this last summer, but the summer before. Yeah, summer of 21. You were hauled out at Night Marine, and you came up there. And did you paint Did you paint the hull and the bottom? The whole damn you boat. You did the whole thing, because you were covered in blue. <laughs> Like crazy, and I remember uh, Murph Murph calling you Dan Dan the T-shirt man. You got to know some of the guys at night. You know you were around because you were. I mean you you were jetting off to Portland, and then you'd come up and be like up there for like three days, and you just work your ass off. Yeah, I was just like I am now, working full time, and then working on the boat during the weekend. And sometimes I'd have a holiday or a vacation day to you know, get up to a three day weekend. So I right, drive right. up to Rockland and yeah. Yard just, life. Yard life. Man, the painting's not so bad. The sanding mm. is not great. I, I think rough. there was a, a lot 
there were many, many layers of bottom paint that had accumulated from previous owners yeah. on the bottom of that boat. And if I had to do it again and I had the money, I would just pay someone to sandblast and take it right back down to gel coat and start again. Because it oh, was yeah. so much time. Well, and it's hard work to do the sanding. Yeah, right. Wearing a mask with a vacuum sander, and yet my nostrils are still filled with caked. Yeah, all the gross anti-fouling dust. Yeah. What do you think your lungs would look like? Oh god. It's definitely not the healthiest thing to be doing, and I didn't do as good a job as oh could could be done with sandblasting, right? Because I basically got so frustrated, it was taking so long, and I was running through so many sanding pads. It's like, well, it's fair-ish so yeah. we're gonna call it good, good enough. enough it doesn't yeah. look like a relief the map paint, paint's not right it's not like a topographic map the paint's not falling <laughs> of off the, the Grand hall. canyon yeah. um, <laughs> but, yeah, you know. um you know it, the the hall the, the bottom looked okay when i hauled out this summer in portland just for a week to just light sand and put on their two coats of bottom paint yeah um yeah and then the the top sides were just That's a lot kind more of a finesse, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't. I've been going for more of a workboat vibe. I don't want to get caught up in like you know doing everything to a yachtsman grade finish or whatever. Because I just want to go sailing. The top sides yep. were not in great shape from the folks I bought the boat from. There's paint was peeling, and whenever. Whoever had painted over the gel coat initially had not done it. Like they hadn't even pulled the stickers and decals off the gel coat before oh, painting. They just painted yeah, right yeah. over it. Um, and so it was probably looking, not a lot of prep work. No, and, and it was just yeah. looking pretty rough. And I was at the dock the whole winter before, and you know, got a little bit of damage where just to the paint, not to the fiberglass or the hull, where a fender had popped and the boat was resting against the dock for a few hours before i realized oh, what was going yeah, on yeah you told me about that so yeah did a little bit of sanding and then repainted the top sides as well that summer that was like much faster i just rolled and tipped it myself with cheap interlux paint yeah yeah not, it's not fancy all well again it's and, one of you know i i totally agree with you i mean the uh, the deck on this boat all i have to do is go down and get a quart for $44 or whatever of yellow. Right. If I can find it. And then tape it off. And I it looks like I have a brand new deck on my boat. And I love that. Um, yeah, sure, it would be nice to have it professionally gel-coated and all that sort of stuff. But guess what? In a year or two, I'm going to have dropped the spinnaker pole on it. And yeah. drag Hank-ons in it, you know, in a storm. And haul like, up your muddy as hell anchor chain and like yeah it's it's working boats i i couldn't agree with you more i mean it's really nice when you can walk down to your boat and it looks wow gorgeous and you're like oh there's not a blemish on it and there's i think some practical value in having your boat look maybe not you know showroom shiny it doesn't need to be shiny but it can be helpful to have the boat look at least presentable if you're yeah. going to be anchored or show up in a marina. Like, you don't want to look like the floating derelict. Right. You don't because, want rust streaks yeah. coming down, um, you know, telltale signs that there's like serious things going on with your boat. 
yeah, as far and as like, issues and corrosion. Whatever you can do to just sort of blend in and not like you don't need the Coast Guard taking more of an interest in you <laughs> for being like a navigational hazard or <laughs> so like yeah, all right. Oh, good. There's like some value in just wanting to look. Well, keeping a boat you know, ship shape. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You know, that, that's yeah. the thing. But I, I think your description though of uh, a working boat, because I've always told you know, especially in the boat yard, people come on the boat and the first thing I say is you know you don't have to take your shoes off. This is this is a working boat. This yeah. isn't this isn't like that. And you know, I, I think there's something to be said about that. I mean, yeah, the cabin sole, the wood needs to be tuned up for sure because i jumped down here all summer long yeah. in the marina with oh, the amount of mopping up i have to do in that boatyard of this boat it's like literally well, it's the it's the worst day. because when when you're in the boatyard it's basically just Dust, mud dirt, and so your shoes mud. are going right through all the mud before you climb the ladder to get into your boat where as at least if you're going out to anchor walking down a dock it's you know usually there's usually some runway for clean, yeah. the dirt to fall off your shoes first <laughs> i can remember trying to in in my early early days when i was doing yacht deliveries trying to come up with a collapsible piece of like like a welcome mat but it was going to be of that astroturf sort of thing oh yeah that you could somehow have like a small bit of water in it so that when people came up, oh, they could almost rinse. scrub the bottom of their feet or their yeah. shoes. Because I, I can remember working as like the first mate on a couple of boats for like Caribbean season. There was one time I spent literally like eight hours hand waxing the hull, cleaned up the whole deck, like just the boat looked perfect. And the owner came back, and he had muddy shoes, and he just walked straight onto the boat, straight through the cockpit, right over the white deck, just footprint, footprint, footprint. It was all still a little bit damp. And I just remember thinking to myself, guy, this is like the this is the last time I'm doing this this job. This is I this yeah. no, this isn't working for me. <laughs> just... But hey, you know that was my job. I got paid yeah. to take care of that, and so I just, you know, grabbed my chamois, yep. followed it up. But I don't know. Just want to go sailing. I don't want to just like. like sailing, man. I want to worry about yep. the boat looking nice. And also, you're gonna scuff the boat coming in single-handed to a dock like you. Nice speak you're for right. yourself, buddy. I don't okay, know what kind yeah, of right, program right. You're, you're running you're, over there. You're on. perfect. That's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure every time you come alongside in any conditions by yourself and there's no one to give you a hand with the lines, I'm I'm sure it works out perfectly perfect. every yeah. time. Now I've I've uh, <laughs> I've only had one incident in all all the years actually. Um, on this boat, at least, uh, where I, I misjudged the current and I should not have done what I did. But luckily, Sparrow was the only one that took a little bit of a hit, which is always That's pretty much want. the goal. Yeah, yeah 100%. Scuff so. your boat, not someone else's. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, hey, you know, um, before we continue on with any of the sailing stuff, uh, you've done some serious hiking. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. man. It's so, it's so cool that... Uh, I find it's a rarity uh, to find. I I think there's always a lot to be said about the similarity between spending time in the woods and spending time at sea. 
Um, they they both yeah. have different aspects, but they're there's sort of that similar feel of being in in the arms of Mother Nature, if you will. But yeah. it's very rare to find sailors that have also done like the big long distance hiking trips. And I've yeah. you know I did the AT in 2012. When did what year did you do that one? I hiked the AT in 2017, and Ooh, then okay. Had so much fun doing it that I worked for the winter and then took off for the PCT. PCT straight away. And that's the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. To yeah, to the lay not person. not abuse acronyms for folks Most who might of my, not be my listeners. They, they know I I did a <laughs> uh, a whole series which actually I think I still need to finish. Uh, apologies to my listeners on that one. I think I I was breaking down each state. Doing a podcast about okay. each state. I think I made it to the Massachusetts or Vermont. Oh, you're almost there. Then there are only a few more. After yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but wow, holy cow! So, just stats wise, not that it really matters. How 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 long did it take you to do the AT? The AT was a little over four months. I left Springer Mountain in Georgia March 28th. Ooh, late start. I like that. March 28th is late? Interesting. I left uh, March 3rd. Okay, yeah, I guess I did run into a bunch of people who were on the trail in early March and February and got snowed on all the time. It's crazy. (laughs) When I went through the Smokies, we had a heat wave. So in, in 2012, that was the year that the continental U.S. lost all of it snow in March there. It was, we were in the Smokies like the second week or so in March and it was 75 degrees. Wow. No bugs, no snow, a lot of rain for sure. Yeah. That's the AT for you. A lot of rain, a lot of rain, a lot of of hiking wet, not wearing a raincoat because there is no point. Oh geez. Okay. So you did 2017. You left mid to late March. Yeah, March 28th, and then I summited Katahdin on July 30th. Okay, okay. Yeah, that, that put you and me just about at the same pace. Yeah. I did the 3rd, and then I summited on the 13th. Yeah. 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 Like two weeks shifted or so. Touche, yeah. my good man. And we both have beards right now. We both have beards. Yours yeah. is more burly than mine. You're, yours <laughs> I, looks I need like, a haircut. I look more like a through hiker now. <laughs> you definitely do. You look like somebody I'd bump into in Massachusetts, yeah. I think. Just about, you're just about at Massachusetts uh, level. <laughs> uh, which one did you like better, AT or the PCT? I know it's almost impossible. To yeah, say, so I, I'm. If you, I'm a Yankee boy. I'm from Connecticut. I've spent all of my adult life and a significant portion of my childhood in Maine. I had been dreaming about hiking the AT since I was nine. Oh wow! Okay. But the PCT is a better trail. Really? <laughs> yeah. Right on. Wow. The, I mean, the, the hiking out west is—it's just amazing. The so the. AT is ballpark 2,200 miles long. Yeah. The PCT is 400 miles longer. It's 2,650. The AT has more elevation gain and loss. Oh, yeah. Big time. And the high point on the AT is Klingman's Dome at like uh, 6,610 feet or something. Right. If memory serves. 
The... Let me let me grab my Appalachian Trail hiker. God, no, it's right there though. It actually is. Um, <laughs> not where, that you have to. Look whereas that the up. the high point on the PCT is Forester Pass at like thirteen something. Yeah, huge. I I took a Mount Whitney is not actually on the PCT, but I many through hikers take like a, a day to hike off the PCT to summit Mount Whitney. The oh, really? Point yeah, in yeah, yeah. 48. So that's at like 14.2 or something like that. Oh, so okay. it, the PCT is significantly longer, much higher, but the hiking is way more mellow. Yeah. It's most or all of the trail is intended to be equestrian grade. So for like pack animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's rarely more than 5% grade. I did not well, know that. 20% grade is roughly gaining or losing a thousand feet in a mile yeah that happens all the time on the at oh yeah like i remember the roller yeah. coasters up in i can't remember where the roller coaster is i think that's northern virginia i think so 13 or something up and downs well yeah. they they have a term for them now they call them useless up and downs like puds right pointless something. ups and downs yeah that's it that's, i love the nomenclature oh, yeah. <laughs> that goes on in the uh in the trail world um, yeah, yeah so the the hiking is just much more mellow uh i mean it's still hard but there's a lot more diversity i mean the southern pct is really the desert and then you go through the high sierra which is kind of like the white mountains but for 300 miles yeah yeah you know, Lots of time way above treeline, just exposed granite. Um, and then there's a large part of Oregon that's very volcanic. Ooh. Um, and then you get up Crater into, Lake and stuff. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then you get up into the Cascades and Washington. And that's actually pretty similar to like the White Mountains in New Hampshire and Katahdin and Maine. Oh, okay, okay. Similar vibe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there, there's a lot more variability well like can i ask you this so you know doing the at first and then you know going and doing the pct must have made the pct much easier because you're yeah. sort of already trail savvy yeah. you really and, understand about carrying lightweight well and i'd only been off the trail like i i finished the at the end of July in 2017, uh -huh. and I left. I started the PCT in on May 4th of the following year. Oh, okay. so like, yeah. Sure, by the time I started the trail, I wasn't quite at the same level of fitness that I finished the trail, but I had a lot of strength still a little built up memory, yeah. from you know spending all that time through hiking on the AT. Um, and you just kind of. I felt much more relaxed about the PCT. I did so much planning for the AT. I was reading way ahead in all the guidebooks. Yeah. And I basically, was so excited. I was like, yeah, oh, I'm doing it. It's super exciting. It's cool to you know, learn about all the places you're going to go. But I just got so lost in all the logistics and then was able to, for the PCT, just chill out a little bit and basically just, you know, all backpacking is and th is throwing a whole bunch of stuff in a bag and walking. Yeah. And, like, and if you can just do that, it's well, that's much easier to be just description like description of it, but, but yeah, right. True. But you know, I felt like you know, it, it takes you know a few thousand miles to just feel comfortable enough to, yeah, it's gonna be fine. I know there's town in like a hundred miles, I know I that's can do the, the hundred miles in yeah. you know five days or whatever it is, throw my food in the bag, and I'll just walk. Well, that's and fine. so that that perfectly describes the AT. 
do you have that ability on the PCT to be able to just, is, is there that many stops? Cause I know it's changing like, because it's yeah. become more popular. Um, it, it depends on what a, what a stop means and what getting to town means. Yeah. So, in Southern California, you know, so from, from Campo, which is the basically border town in California, that's right mm-hmm. on the Mexican border. Um, all the way up to Kennedy Meadows, which is basically the the stop everybody makes just before entering the High Sierra. Um, I'd say the frequency of towns is pretty comparable to the AT. In fact, there might be more towns on the PCT where the trail goes effectively right through town. So you don't have to have to deal with like a hitch into town. Oh, or, really? Or whatever. Okay. Um, Interesting. Then like, the High Sierra is much more challenging, right? It's about 280 miles of pretty hard hiking, right? It's the highest part of the trail, and the the trail through the High Sierra is all just, you go down to a valley and then up to a pass, right? It's That's something that's very different from the AT. Like, the everything is so high there. You don't hike to the summit of things. You hike to a pass in the next ridge. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's just a lot of, like many many miles down and then many many miles up up. um and it's about 280 miles where you don't see a power line the trail doesn't cross a road there's not a car like there is no 280 mile stretch of the at not even where where you don't cross a road or see a power line which is amazing it was crazy for resupply in that so there are a couple options where you can have some pretty long hitches or do a whole bunch of off-trail hiking to get out of town. I actually went straight through, which was hard. It was the, it's the longest backpacking section I've I had ever Just done, and and still so I, that pack yeah of food. I, I did a ten day section from Kennedy Meadows to Mammoth Lakes. Um, I had planned on and packed food for eleven days and finished all of it. In nine and a half days yeah, or whatever. I'll bet, I'll bet. Um, it was. There's no way to tame the hungry. Hunter. No, I, I, I took my shirt off to shower in the hostel in Mammoth Lakes and was like a little surprised at how visible my ribs were. It was yeah, not. Yeah. I, I have very rarely played it so close with food, but I had, I think like half a Snickers bar and maybe like five tablespoons of olive oil left in my pack when I got into, like, it was, I was right down to the end. Um, but I, I, you know, I wanted the challenge of, you know, just doing that huge long stretch right through the Mm -hmm. wilderness where there's nothing, Um, you know, I wanted to see if I could do it. And, you know, and and I knew where all the bailout points were along the way. I I don't want to speak definitively to all of them because I, I didn't actually take any of them. So I'm not terrible. I know, uh, Vermillion Valley Resort is one. Uh, Julian might be a town that some people hitch to. Like I said, I I just yeah, hiked the PCT yeah. straight through. There so were I, okay. Well, knowing um, there's a few exit routes in there. Yeah, which you could take if you needed. Right. Um, I was under a little bit of time crunch on the PCT because I was taking classes and so had to be back finished with the trail to be able to go back to school in august oh wow so i was doing everything i could to like limit the amount of time i was to abuse the term wasting by traveling off trail oh okay Um, yeah yeah yeah. 
Because, I mean, like you could spend a whole day waiting for a hitch, or you can get really lucky and, like, the first car yeah, that comes by picks true, you true. up. Or um, you could just forego it and, you know. And just hike straight through and not through, have to, yeah. you know. But I, I had a lot of fun. Yeah. Part, part of my AT hike was I had set aside enough money to be able to not only stay in pretty much every town I got to, yeah. but, like, get a hotel room and not, like, oh, man, am I going to be able to? It was more like, yeah. where's the nearest pizza? Where's the no, nearest beers? Let's do this. Yeah, it, you know. It's way better, if, especially if you're serious about it. You've got to be able to get to town and not and just be able not to eat. stress. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, well, it just makes it, I think, that much more enjoyable. Although I will say I did run into quite a few people that were doing it on like an extreme budget and some of the situations they got themselves into um, because they were in that situation ended up sounding so epic. Like that's when, you know, (laughs) random strangers are finding you trying to like sleep on the sidewalk and right. then invite yeah, you yeah. into their home and then you know lend you their lamborghini for the weekend <laughs> and you're like what what is happening you're like yeah it went so fast you're like what <laughs> that might be an embellishment but like you know what i mean it is no, there are certainly wild stories of, i mean the, it through hiking is not unlike cruising in that you just you run into really amazing people yeah and there there are just lots of feel like there's sort of a, a constant, I don't know, current of like just acts of kindness for complete strangers. You're just, they're people who help each other out for no other reason than just they are coming across another person who could use some help and they're choosing to help them. Well, and um, I, I do, I totally agree with that, but I also think that there is this sort of adventure spirit when you run into a person who's taking upon themselves this this epic challenge, like trying to through hike or or do a long passage or something. I mean, long passage you don't run into a lot of people, <laughs> but, but before and after with you the do. yeah with the with like the AT hike and stuff. I mean, it's you you'd start to talk to somebody and and they're like, you're hiking from where to <laughs> what. Yeah. And and there is there's sort of this kind of you almost feel like I'm uh, I'm this adventurer <laughs> ah yes and I yeah. don't know <clears throat> excuse me I think there is something to be said for that um, and I think that's part of the reason why some people continue to do it yeah and, I forget who it was I think a a woman from australia i was hiking with her her trail name was zebrook she wore these knee braces but they're they were open around the knee so she had these like really funky tan lines that were like stripes on her legs oh right so, right zebra for that reason <laughs> um but she said something that i thought was pretty astute which is that through hiking ruins your life in the best possible way i like that because you know, I think there are largely two groups of people. There are people, and I think I was saying this to you before, like there are people who who do the through hike, and you know, that's sort of it. Like that's the adventure. They, you know, are satisfied, scratch the itch, and you know they're on to whatever you know is next in store for them in life. And then there are other people, probably like us, who are like, "Wow, this is awesome! What, how, like, what else is there? Yeah, a whole right? different way to um, live." 
you mean we can do this? Right. Like, more? so what, what, what's next? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and for me, that was the PCT. And now, you know, doing this sailing. Um, and yeah, you just sort of like get a taste of what you could be doing or what life is like when you're not just working a nine to five. It's a different it's feel. It's a different. Pretty sweet. It's, it's a different path. Yeah. That's for sure. And that, you know, I think like any. There's highs and there's lows. Yeah. Oh, it's not. It's um, not all just there's drawbacks. sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. I I think one of one of the biggest drawbacks to doing sort of I guess you could, you could definitely call these risky sort of adventures because you know you could break a leg, fall off a cliff, get eaten by a bear or a mountain lion. Um, you know there are actual risks out there. Yeah. I've always rationalized that with the fact Your that boat can I'm get not... knocked down on the Gulf Stream north of Bermuda. Right? Well, yeah, <laughs> you could you could have something go wrong with you in the Southern Ocean. But you know what? Statistically, you know, my parents they worry about me all the time when I'm doing these things, and I try to relay to them that by driving in their vehicles, yeah. they are far more uh, vulnerable to I... you know death than i am um but they don't really see it that way i agree <laughs> I, I i agree completely yeah. and i use driving like uh, driving is my my go-to example for oh it's i think the basically most dangerous how, thing in the world it's so dangerous because people are so nonchalant uh, yeah about it's it. totally normalized and i think basically we as humans are just not good at judging and rationalizing and thinking about risk yeah like things we feel comfortable with feel less risky even if that's not the case like driving is a fantastic example like it's so dangerous so to dangerous. drive screaming but, past other vehicles literally two feet away there's a dotted line yeah <laughs> to separate you but Half the people have a phone in their hand and they're texting somebody and looking up every once in a while. Oh my and, goodness. And like, it's terrifying. I mean, we've all grown up in cars driving. I don't feel, I'm so nonchalant about it. I feel perfectly calm when I get in a car and go drive somewhere. It's no big deal, but that's not the way I should be thinking about that risk. But yeah. I feel much more anxious when I realize, wow, I'm out at sea and I can't see any land. You know, similarly, like, I think many sailors feel more comfortable when their boat's at a dock, even though a dock is a terrible place for your boat, right? That's where all the other boats are. It's a confined yeah. space. It's where the damage happens. Yeah, it's where the damage happens. There are tons of boats that sink at the dock because of, you know, whatever happens, like the fires, uh, all sorts of, yeah, no. Wh whereas true. if you're out on a well-found mooring or on appropriate sized anchor, like your boat's going to orient into the weather and it's going to ride things out just fine. Yep. That's true. That um, is very true. But we feel, you know, it's more comfortable to be able to just, you know, hop get on, back to land. Yeah, or, yeah, it's yeah. certainly more convenient to be at a dock, but I don't know that it's safer to be at a dock. I, I think in a lot of ways it's going to depend on, you know, where the dock is and all that sort of stuff. Cause even here while we were gone, uh, I was in Florida and you were off on your adventures. Um, it blew like 35 from the West. So right down the Creek. And I know they yeah. adjusted my lines. Pax and Brian were, were there to sort of, cause Mongo was getting pretty close to the dock. 
But they had there were people dragging anchors and all sort of stuff. And I think uh, you know there there is yeah. like if you're not living on the boat and constantly on it, you still have to kind of check the weather and be like, hey, uh, it's gonna be a little 45 tomorrow in my area. I better go check the lines. Yeah, and sure, a lot of people for don't. Sure, yeah, just um, mystery to me. Yeah. I I've always I you know. Obviously, if you're not here, like when I go to Michigan, I'll still check the weather in Buford. And if there's a big system coming out, even though I know, you know, PAX and all these people are here and stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. But to to our earlier point, though, I I think I've spent so little time driving over the last couple of years that, and it may just be because I'm still kind of fresh off the ocean, I am Hands are at 10 and 2. I'm like wide-eyed. I don't listen to the radio. I'm just like, yeah. and I'm constantly looking in my mirrors when I have to like stop to take a left-hand turn or anything like that. Just thinking, oh man, is this person paying attention? Yeah. Are they going to slam into me? I don't know. The de- the whole driving thing is just it's terrifying. Yeah. I hate I to was... go off on a tirade on it. but No, but also really like, you is. know. It's probably more dangerous walking around some major city than it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, well, and that's the thing. Like you, I like you said, man. It, we're we're very we're very bad about sort of assigning risk and assessing it. And it, you know, it's a lot of people won't go out into the woods because they're like, well, but there's bears out there. And it's sort of like, okay, well, the it's a one in a million chance that you're even gonna see a bear let alone be mauled by a bear. Uh, but there's something in our brains that says, bear, could be you. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I, I the, like, they're, they're... I get it. You know, bears are something to think about. Yeah. But especially black bears on the East Coast, you just yell at them and they run away. It's no big I, deal. They're like big raccoons almost. I only ever saw the hind ends of bears. They right. were just... running as fast as they could. Now, I... Did you see any grizzlies or brown bears out out west? I saw, yeah. Well, I guess honestly, I'm not sure if because they they have both brown bears and black bears out west. There are no, at least to my knowledge, on the PCT, there are no grizzlies. They they do have grizzlies. Um, up in on, Oregon, don't they? I don't believe so. On the CDT, where the Continental Divide yeah. Trail, that's the like big daddy of all these oh, long no, trails. The ACT, um, that one runs also from Mexico to Canada, but across the Rockies. Yeah. Um, and I think up in Wyoming, Idaho, the like the northern section of the trail is definitely grizzly country. Yeah. But anyway, the black bears can have a much more brown color, apparently, or so I was told uh-huh. out west. Um, and so I, I saw bears twice, I think, on the PCT. Once That's it. They wow. were just like tearing down a, a mountainside. Um and then another time was the trail sort of winding through this area that must have been clear cut ten years ago and in the intervening time had just sort of been filled with berry bushes. Mm-hmm. But the berry bushes were like, I don't know six eight feet yeah, tall and the trail yeah. was winding through it so you can't really see and then i sort of come around to bend in this thicket of berry bushes and i just see the butt of this bear running away oh wow um, okay. any mountain so, lions 
well, I'm. They were probably there. there I didn't, yeah, see, them. didn't yeah. see them. Yeah, they were. <laughs> um, they were full already. Yeah. Probably. Those things they're, they're just scary. stalk yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. And there, but you know, in in those circumstances, I equate that to, you know, worrying about running into a a half submerged container in the middle of the night. You know, yeah, they're out there, but you're never gonna see them. Yeah. Especially at night. I right. mean, obviously I mean, at night, you know. But even, even if you have radar, if it's submerged, it's yeah, you're, you're not going to yeah, see it. You're not gonna see um, it. So it, it's best just to be like, oh, that thought came into my head. Bing, get it out. Yeah, and I Focus guess and, and there are ways to prepare for it. You know, I like you could build a watertight bulkhead in the bow. So yeah. If you did crash into something, right? Like, I mean, and many boats do that. That's part of like a that's a basic safety feature for I don't know Coast Guard certification and. Like I, I don't have it. the the bulkhead for my anchor locker is certainly not watertight. Yeah, but oh, it wouldn't be one. a crazy idea to class it in, right? It's like a pretty easy thing you can do to make to mitigate the risk of running into a yeah, yeah a submerged yeah. container, right? In the unlikely event you do, even if you do manage to crack the hull, well. Okay, the boat's set up for yeah, it, right? right? Um, that's what you have a life raft for, and and all that sort cool. of stuff. It's not like you can have a life raft for a mountain lion. No, but but you can learn, you know, like, hey, with a mountain lion, what you really shouldn't do is run, and you shouldn't make eye contact with them. So, like, there you can learn how best to behave in a way that will be interpreted as non-threatening by this animal. Right, right. Right, just like, you know, if you run into black bears, you should make a lot of noise yep. and maybe throw some rocks and, like, Get make big. yourself look big. big yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think you, right, mountain you lion, can, though, I for some reason, I just kind of feel like those. I don't know if there's any way to deter those things. I mean, yeah, they are just. I mean, I I've think you seen, just have to hope not to run into them. Yeah, it's really dude, the, the, the best when, option. Yeah, when like a house cat goes a little mental, it's like get me out of oh, here. Yeah. It's got claws and teeth. A mountain lion. What do they weigh? Four hundred pounds? Three hundred pounds? They get really big, don't they? Oh god! I don't know. Yeah, they're, they're, I don't want to speculate. Cougars are, are scary. <laughs> yeah, sure. really scary. But not enough to keep you off the trail. No, definitely not. No, and and for the most part, they aren't interested in no they in, in people like almost all eat, of you know wildlife scavenge yeah. something yeah. that that's already dead. Um, yeah. Who knows? So I don't Who know. Knows? There, there are ways to. You know, it's like you can keep yourself clipped onto the boat or, you know, you, you can, man, you know, figure you out how to take work. all sails down when the wind gets over 22 knots. Yeah. <laughs> no. Sounds no. really boring you every, every you time you get, get over. If you don't do that, you're, you're going to die of starvation out <laughs> right, there. Trust right. me. Oh, man. Well, I'm, I don't know. I just think that's that it's, it's really cool. You've done both of those. You think you'll ever do the uh, Triple Crown? Try and get the cdt in there yeah i think i would like to at some point i don't feel like a a burning itch to go hike the cdt um right now i feel much more interested in sort of this sailing adventure i've spent you know the between the at and the pct right it's nearly five yep very nearly five thousand miles of hiking yeah 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 which is a lot of hiking a lot (laughs) dude that is a lot um and so I'm enjoying a different kind of adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I don't really want to go just hike the CDT just to finish the Triple Crown. That's you know, like 3,000 miles is a lot of hiking to do just to be able to what say that I've hiked all three trails. Yeah, well, whatever. Yeah, who yeah. really cares about that? Um, so yeah, maybe, but what's well, I don't have any immediate plans for the, it. You describe that that burning desire, because um, that was something like I when I wanted to hike the AT which was sort of my first big like adventure of my, I guess, adult life or whatever. Uh, it was a burning, like I need yeah. to do this. Like this is, this is what I'm going to do. And I knew I was going to do it for at least like two years, maybe three. Um, and then the round the world trip, it was the same. It was like, it is like, yeah, I have I'm doing to do this, this. like laser this focus on every, it. Yeah. yeah. All well, when I wake up in the morning, what I do that day has something very much to do with me getting to that point. But then after that, I definitely came to a place for a while where I couldn't find that anywhere. Like I just, it was like, what else am I, I, you know, I was looking for it right. drastically. You hiked the AT and sailed around the world. Like what, <laughs> what was, what's the next challenge? Sort of yeah. Like, well, yeah. Uh, but you know, and I've always said that adventures come in all sizes. Um, you know, they don't have to be super dangerous. They don't have to be super long. Um, they can just be all these these different things. But there's something so awesome when you have that desire to do it, and it's just eating you alive that you've got to go, and you you've that's that passion is just burning inside of you, and. I mean, I've I've definitely touched it a few more times, I guess, in the last couple of years. Um, but I don't know. It's it's interesting. I don't know if it's you know as you get older, whatever, what what happens. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I I haven't felt a, a, like a real burning desire to do anything like I had for those two events since yeah i i remember it was pretty early on on the at someone had i forget exactly what they said if it was you know asking me you know like oh what are you gonna do if you don't make it to the make it to katahdin or if they'd said you know it would be okay if you just came out and hiked for a couple months and didn't finish the trail both of which are you know reasonable questions or thoughts to have but at the time it was just like that's not an option like yeah the, it, it, it wasn't a question in my mind it's like i'm going to hike these 2,200 miles from Georgia to Maine, and I'm going to summit Katahdin. I've been planning on doing this since I had a camp council when I was nine who it told me stories about his hike. And like, but it, it wasn't even that sort of like, uh, I don't know, like hubris, machoism, but just like the idea of not finishing what was like, it like wasn't a possibility. What, right, right. Like, In some way, what, what shape I was or going form. to do was finish the trail. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's yeah. what was going to happen. Um, yeah, so you can get like totally fixated on, you know, here's this goal I've set for myself. And, and yeah, it's, damn it, it's I'm going to do it. Right, yeah. right. Well, I, you know, I guess I, I, I think the, the part that I'm curious about, and I wish I knew the formula of, you know, there's all these things like, like, happiness in somebody's life you know if you if you only knew the formula for like <laughs> oh i just gotta right. plug in x y and z and then boom happiness you know and but for me it's really like trying to find that those certain things those certain goals those challenges whatever they are 
that just, you know, they blow your hair back. They light that fire inside of you. They get your, your blood pumping, you know, your nerves are a little rattled. You're like, holy smokes, I'm going to, I'm going to dedicate what I do. And maybe that is, is part of it. Cause even for the AT, I had to make sure that I saved a certain amount of money. So it meant like I had yeah. to do well in my job. I had to take extra stuff if I could, get extra tips, all this. I had to save money. I couldn't just go and, you know, go drinking every night with everybody down in the islands or whatever. Same with the, you know, three years leading up to sailing. I don't know. I, it's, I think there's something pretty cool about it, and I do wish I could uh, just turn it on and off, I suppose. Well, I mean, that's part, right? It's almost not in your control, right? You get, like, you know, not. bitten by whatever Man, the bug is right? to go do whatever the whatever the adventure is, and then it's all you just start you do fixating it. on. Well, an interesting point. You know, there have been a lot of times where uh, people would ask, and they'd be like, well, what was uh, the best day on the trip? You know, was it the... You know, when you pulled in back to land and I was like, that definitely was not the best day on the trip. And there were some aspects of it that were awesome. You know, making landfall, you got a lot of good things to look forward to. Um, you see people, all that sort of stuff. But definitely Food on not. land is pretty good. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have this little video clip from one of the trips where I get back and I take the first slice of pizza. I literally start crying. Town's got good food and hot showers. Yeah. And those are pretty nice. And they feel that much better yeah. when you abstain yeah. or, or can't have them. <laughs> I think that that for me, and I've talked about this uh, quite a bit on the podcast, but um, you know, the level of joy that you can attain when you have to go through so much misery to get there is something I think everybody in their life has to sort of balance. You can't just say, you know, I'm not going to eat chocolate for 75 years so that <laughs> I'm going to then eat some chocolate and it's going to be the best. That doesn't make any sense. But at the same time, you know, to take hiking, for example, you could go out and hike for, I think I actually was talking about this with Sam a little bit, but you can go out on a beautiful sunny day and go for a hike. And it's, whee! Yeah, this yeah. is awesome. You can go then out on a hike and it's snowing, raining, lightning, and it's like that for three or four days, and then you get your sunny day. How much better sunny does that one feel? Good? Pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. I, there's, yeah. there's a there's. I think that's part of the equation in a lot of these things. But again, yeah. I mean, you have to balance it because. I, I I don't know. I when I went to do the trip uh around the Americas and possibly around Antarctica as well, the figure eight right. um in two thousand twenty, there was part of me that was definitely trying to get to the South Atlantic heading north after all the rest of the trip was already done and feel how good I felt when I did it on the trip around the world. Because once you escape the Southern Ocean and then the temperature finally goes up into the 70s and the winds sort of steady back out and you know you've escaped the dangers, um, it's the greatest thing in the world. Like, 
I had three days of it, and I'll never forget it. I I can remember exactly what the clouds looked like. It huh. was so amazing, but yeah. it took being not only in the Southern Ocean for four and a half months, but also two months of preparing for that in the Atlantics, and then however many years it took to you know save all the money and all the prep work it took to get the boat and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean. It's... You can go back and further and further and and really dial in like how much work it took to get to that spot, but I don't know. It's this crazy thing, and I'm trying to figure it out. I don't have it all figured out yet. Yeah. The one thing that's really beautiful about backpacking is it's just so simple. It really is just throw your stuff in a bag, and it's not that much stuff. Not that much. And go Can't walk. Be. And it, you know, we both have pretty small, relatively simple boats. But they're way more complex yeah. than a backpack. <laughs> yeah. This is true. This is true. Right. How much? Got, oh, can I ask you just on a technical uh, aspect? How much weight were you normally carrying on the AT? On the AT, I think my base weight. So, for the non-through hiking gearheads on <laughs> listening to this, base weight is the term that hikers use to refer to the weight they're carrying minus consumables. So excluding fuel, food, and water. Right. So the weight of your pack, tent, sleeping bag, headlamp, yeah. all that other stuff that is, is constant. Um, I think that was about 14 pounds on the AT. And on the PCT, <laughs> I had it just under... 10 like nine and a half pounds maybe oh wow yeah, holy pr- pretty light on the on the pct really yeah. light jeez yeah so was that uh so with food and you know as much as you want to just be able to carry like dehydrated stuff it's just not happening i mean you got to have like peanut butter you got to have like yeah i mean i just started making sandwiches in town and packing them out i'd buy like a bag of six bagels. And oh, I'd make, really? Yeah. Bagels are great, though. I'd, I'd make uh, a lot of calories. cheddar cheese and salami sandwiches in town, mm-hmm. shove them all back in the bag, and I'd have one for lunch every day. Really? Yeah. Interesting. If, if I could find those um, like packets of mayo, because mayo is just like, so, oh, it's got yeah. so much fat in it, so yeah, many yeah, good yeah. calories. I'd pack those as well and squirt some mayo on the bread. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you do uh, pop tarts? On the AT, I ate a lot of pop tarts, and then they're I, so easy. I just I couldn't do pop tarts anymore, so I I stopped. Yeah, they you know they're <laughs> they're like that guilty pleasure because they're so easy to eat in the mornings, so you can just roll out compared to oatmeal and you know yeah a lot of yeah my standard breakfast in the AT was two packages of Pop-Tarts, so like four individual Pop-Tart pastries. Oh, wow. And, Good and, for you, And man. cheddar cheese. Cheddar cheese, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eat my cheddar cheese you and Pop-Tarts. and yeah. 24 hours oh, a day on that thing. And it keeps forever. Like, Oh, it does not God, need yeah. to be refreshed. Throw some me. hard cheddar cheese in the bottom of your pack. It's good for, yeah. I've had it out for six, seven days in the bottom of a pack. It's fine. Yeah. It gets a little bit oily and greasy, but it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Holy cow. It's bringing me back. <laughs> Absolutely bringing me back. All right. Well, well hey, Dan, we're, we're well past an hour, and uh, I've taken up so much of your time with this. Like, this is, I don't know. I'm, it's fun when, when I get to sit down, like, with friends, pretty much just, sitting down and just having a conversation, <laughs> but to have so many similar aspects as far as the sailing and the hiking and everything. And yeah, it's fun. 
And, you know, I, I feel like if we do get a chance, I, I may I may pull you aside for another just quick, like, 30-minute pod where I I just want to grill you about the PCT because I don't know if you noticed I got the book. Yeah, I saw the book up there. There's part of me. Uh, I always like to have contingency plans for, you know, my one year or six months ahead of me sort of plans. Uh, Thinking and that's one of them. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, you know. May is just around the corner, and uh, I've got a pack. I've got all the gear. Yeah. I just, uh, I need to just slice. I Mostly for me, it's what do I do with this boat? Like, I, I have to haul it out. I can't just, like, leave it on the dock here. That ain't happening. No. So, yeah, I don't know. Boats but. are hard. Boats are a little hard. <laughs> I, luckily, the though, course. they can be put on the hard, which yes. then makes them pretty darn safe. So. Yeah. I don't know, but you know, we'll sort of see. But thanks for coming on, yeah, man. For sure, super interesting. I, you know, I, I definitely think we'll, we might have to do one more. But um, I've still been getting a kick out of just running into you here. I know it's so <laughs> crazy, small world. You know, small world. We meet up there at night, Marine, hanging with Murph, White Claws, down here, South Carolina. So funny when I pulled in and the guy Doc was like, "Yeah, there, there's some other." people you'll meet here who are doing similar things to you single-handing you know there's this guy jerome who is single-handing and he just got in the other day it's like is he on a west sale 32 <laughs> yep <laughs> that'd be him pretty sure i know jerome i thought i, I for, for some reason i feel like we would have talked about this place a little bit when i was up in maine maybe we may have. But we must. I, I mean, must when, have mentioned when it, South Carolina. At we least. were up in Maine. I didn't even have definite plans to, like, I, th- this trip was sort of happening at some point in the future, yeah, but I had, you yeah, know, yeah. I didn't know when it was going to happen or anything like that. And so, if you'd mentioned Ladies River Marina, Ladies Island, Island Marina, excuse me, I may just not have <laughs> uh, retained it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Because like everybody loves to tell you about all the cool. Oh, when you get to wherever, yeah, you should go check yeah, out. Yeah. You know, you do get around, flooded like, with. There that. are a lot of good places. Most places are good places. I like to keep the secrets. You know, I you know I'll I'll let a few people in on some of like the real epic secret spots, but uh, I don't know. I know there are some people that want to shout to the world every time they find <laughs> like a cool spot, and sometimes you want to be like, hey, let's keep that on yeah. the down low. <laughs> keep all right, Dan. Yeah. Thank you so much, my friend. This is great.